It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M, and I know that we're doing our bracketology, finding out our Elite Eight, who is going to be the greatest Aggie of all time, but sometimes you have a wrench thrown in your path, and it's just amazing that you're able to get someone with so much knowledge going on around the world of sports that can come in on the show, and that's what we have today. He was supposed to be on last week, so I previewed him a little bit. You kind of know him. You kind of love him. I know I love him. He's worked with me in the past, and he's nothing short of a great interview. So he's going to be on talking a little bit about the Titans, but more importantly, about these NFL draft prospects coming out of College Station. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my main man, Justin Mello. Justin, what's going on, buddy? I can't complain, Cole. Happy to be joining you today, man. Very happy to be joining you to talk some ball. Yeah, dude, it's been so long. And, and I've known Justin since we were both back at USA Today's Draft Wire. I was on my way out. He was on his way in. And when I left, I knew that Justin was going to be someone to come in and immediately make an impact. And if you haven't checked out his work, his work is outstanding. The way he interviews prospects, gets their names, gets in touch with their agents, and is able to sit down and get quality interviews coming out with them. He recently did one on Courtney Davis. He has another one coming up with Justin Matabike in a little bit. So make sure you guys are giving him a follow. Justin, where can people find you on social media, buddy? Well, first off, I appreciate all the kind words, Cole. But yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Once again, that's JustinM underscore NFL. All my interviews get tweeted out there. I've uh, been reporting on lots of team and player visits, uh, guys like uh, like Justin out of Texas A&M, as you just said. So uh, lots of visit news going on from the Twitter account right now. Justin M underscore NFL is where you can find my main man, Mello. Justin, you are a Tennessee Titans fan. So for starters, I'm sorry that you have dealt with so much travesty in your life being a lifelong Titans fan, for starters. But this was a good year for you guys. I mean, once the transition from Ryan Tannehill to Marcus Mariota, former Texas A&M quarterback who, listen, when you are around College Station people, all you hear is Money Manziel. But Ryan Tannehill might be the most unheard of quarterback that nobody mentions in 12th man history. But he led the team to a 7-3 record. He got them all the way to the AFC Championship. By the way, just throwing in a little shade, Alabama running back uh, Derrick Henry also kind of helped out with the postseason push, but we'll leave that to the side. He gets a brand new deal worth four years, $118 million. Overall, when you have a quarterback who's 31 years old, doesn't have maybe that track record of being a standout player, is this a good signing or is this a risky signing made by John Robinson and his staff? Now look, I can understand why you can make an argument for both sides. You know, there are a lot of people out there who say, look, you know, Ryan Tannehill, really, we, you know, we know what he is. This is a one-off. This is a fluke. The Titans will live to regret it. Um, personally, I'm not so sure that they will. I don't really see what other choice the Titans had here. I mean, as you mentioned, he comes in, you know, for someone who obviously has followed the Titans very closely, I can't tell you how bad their offense was before Tannehill took the reins. I mean, this was an offense that was just, they didn't even look like an NFL offense. And that's the God honest truth. I know Derrick Henry gets a lot of credit for what happened down the stretch, as he should. But, I mean, Henry, it's not like he, he wasn't there. He was there when Mariota was the quarterback to start the year, and the offense was, was just beyond abysmal. I mean, you look at the last two games Mariota started in uh, before they decided to bench him and hand it over to Tannehill. 
you know, they had lost a, a game to the Buffalo Bills. I believe it was 14-7, where they, sure, they had missed four field goals, but I mean, the offense could not, get, you know, could not do anything really, could not march down the field. Somehow it got even worse the following week, which ended up being Marcus Mariota's final start uh, as a Tennessee Titan. That was the lowly, lowly shutout against the Denver Broncos, where I'm not sure the Titans passed midfield the entire game. I mean, it was it was beyond atrocious. At that point, people were talking about, okay, can this team tank for Joe Burrow? They're clearly going nowhere. How close can they get to the number one overall pick? I mean, really, if you were around Tennessee Titan Town, nobody thought the season was salvageable. It was already all focused on the draft, which quarterbacks are coming out. They hand things over to Tannehill, and all of a sudden the offense is scoring 30 points a game. I mean, the it was just incredible what they did uh, on the offensive side of the ball when Tannehill came in. And as great as Henry was, you know, you'd be naive to think that Tannehill wasn't a massive part of that success. Uh, I think it's more likely, you know, when you analyze the career of Ryan Tannehill at this point, I think it's more likely that, you know, the Miami Dolphins were just a very bad, toxic situation for him. And, and let's not forget, it's not like he, you know, looked terrible throughout his entire time in Miami. There were a couple of years there where he was a starting uh, starting quarterback, you know, rightfully so. So, uh, you know, again, the offense in Tennessee was just terrific. And a lot of people, you know, they don't pay attention, close attention to the Titans. So it's easy to just watch the playoff games. We get it. It's playoffs. They're nationally televised. Where Henry did all the heavy lifting and Tannehill was barely throwing the ball. That was not the case in the regular season under Tannehill. No, he was throwing it around a ton. He was throwing three, four touchdowns a game. He was throwing for 250, 300 passing yards a game. We saw the chemistry that he built with A.J. Brown. Uh, we saw guys like Jonu Smith make a huge impact down the stretch due to, due to what Tannehill was doing out there. So I think it makes a ton of sense for the Titans. I don't think they had another choice. Yeah, the contract, four years, $118 million. A lot of people will look at it and say, wow, that's a lot of money. But if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, and you know as well as I do, Cole, the salary cap is always going up. These contracts are always changing. Uh, as of now, it's barely in the top 10. Um, in terms of largest quarterback contracts on a per year basis. Now you wait till Dak Prescott gets his contract. You wait till Patrick Mahomes gets his contract and a couple other guys that are coming up shortly. Before you know it, Tan Hill probably won't even be in the top 15. So I think you'll look back on this contract and say it was a good move. Um, and I think again, I think the Titans really didn't have another choice. One final point. I'll make on the subject because I see a lot of people saying, oh, you know, we've seen this before. Quarterback has a great year, talks a team into giving him a big contract, and it ends up being a mistake. Now, a lot of people who make that argument, they point to Nick Foles uh, and what he obviously did in Philly and landing the big contract in Jacksonville. One reason I do not like that argument is Tannehill staying with the same team. You know, Foles did that in Philadelphia with a terrific supporting cast with a terrific offensive coaching staff. Then he goes to Jacksonville, who, who hasn't been a very, who obviously haven't been a very successful franchise uh, over the last several years, outside of that one year where they went to the AFC Championship game. You know, he downgraded in staff. He downgraded in the talent around him, and he had to learn a new system. The Titans are asking Tannehill to do exactly what he did last year with the exact same players he was surrounded by last season. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. 2,700 passing yards, just a little over that. 22 touchdowns versus six interceptions. A 7-3 and three record for Tannehill. Again, you mentioned how Johnny Smith, the guy who is now going to be featured as the tight end one with Delaney Walker gone. The emergence of A.J. Brown is probably the number two wide receiver rookie out of this draft class and what he was able to do. I definitely see the improvement. Here, here's something that I want to go to before we have to take a quick break. 
we were talking a little bit about how Tannehill's contract is $118 million and how it's not that big of a deal. The biggest thing is there is a buyout clause after the 2021 season. So say Tannehill isn't the guy for those two years. He's only guaranteed that $63 million a year. Can you explain to maybe fans both in favor of the former Aggie and against the former Aggie having that lucrative contract, what it means for that buyout and how that will affect the Titans draft stock, especially in the coming years when they're looking at potentially finding a face of the franchise who's not a 31-year-old who has one to two really standout seasons and the rest below average. Yeah, the contract, the way Titans general manager John Robinson structured, it is pretty interesting to me. It seems that he did give himself an out after the first year. If, if you know, it, it does go the Nick Foles way, let's say, and, you know, Tannehill proves that that was a one-off and a fluke or, or whatever. But it's a very expensive out there, if you look at it. Like, in terms of the dead money and, and, and as you said, what he's guaranteed, I mean, that's a lot of money to guarantee a guy for one year. So the way it's kind of structured is this is either going to be a one-year contract or it's going to be a three- or four-year contract. They don't really have an out after the second year. So very interesting. Again, I think it's a way for the Titans to protect themselves, uh, albeit it's a very uh, very expensive way to protect themselves. So, I, of course, ideally, you know, it makes sense that they gave themselves a sort of out. It's certainly not an out that they want to take but at least they have one in place. No, it's great that you always have one in place. And because of what you've seen from some of these guys, the guys that you can list off, Nick Foles, Brock Osweiler, a couple of others that have just been in the past who are one-year wonders, it makes sense. It is a lot of money. But again, when you watch the way that Tennessee improved with the former 12th man leading the charge, A&M fans definitely know that Ryan Tannehill is a quarterback who can find ways to win, and there's that was proven this year. I think that this deal overall had to be made, and especially with the whole rumors of Tom Brady and other quarterbacks kind of coming in, the asking price for a guy who is going to be probably out of the league in two or three years, why not just have a guy who maybe fits the system a little bit better? But we have Justin Mello on with us today here on Locked on Aggies. He's definitely got some inside information for us on Justin Matabike, potentially going in the first round. We'll let you know in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you like quality content by people who understand your favorite sport and know your favorite team like the back of their hand? Simple. Why not listen to a Locked On podcast today? We have over two dozen college sports shows plus coverage surrounding the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, the NHL, and of course, helping your fantasy football team become a powerhouse in whatever type of playoff system you use. So go ahead. It's really simple. Log on to LockedOnPodcast.com. Go to iTunes, find your favorite team, and download your favorite Locked On podcast today. We are joined right now by one of my favorite people to ever talk to when it comes to draft coverage and especially when it comes to getting to know players on a personal level. And that is my man, Justin Mello. Justin comes all the way from us from the great white north of Canada, but he is an American at heart when it comes to finding out these American players. And he's got some news on one of our favorite prospects, probably the only Aggie who has a shot of making it into the top 50. And that's Justin Matabike. You actually, uh, you and I both have spoken to Justin multiple times in the past. You spoke to him more so recently uh, for an article that is coming out. We will also be previewing that article and bringing that up later on this week when it is published. Ju- Justin, just you were mentioning before the show, just there was things he was saying 
in that room that you were talking to him in, just just what is it about his demeanor that NFL teams are going to love about the former A&M defensive end or defensive tackle, defensive lineman, really, depending on how you play him? Yeah, he, he impressed the heck out of me, Cole. I mean, you know, I'm one of these guys. I've got a uh, I've got a little thing for for physical football players and and guys who want to play the game and, and are tough guys. And that's the impression I got from Adebike. I mean, I so many questions that he answered. I asked him stuff about his pass rush arsenal. I asked him how he likes to demoralize his opponent. You know, I asked him about his skill set and, and so on. And every answer had, had an extremely physical tone to it. I mean, I remember asking him, oh, you know, tell me a little about your pass rush arsenal. He said something about, well, you know, I, I like to grab, you know, take my hand and shove it through my opponent's jaw and push him all the way back into the quarterback. Uh, I only know how to play the game one way. That's physical and dirty. You know, he just this is a guy who's all about his business. Very serious guy. I asked him a question uh, about when he gets drafted. I mean, he's a very serious, serious man. He said, look, I'm not one of those guys that's going to throw a draft party. I find that to be complete and utter nonsense. Uh, you know, all, all that means I got drafted is it's time to go to work. I'm competing against the best players in the nation, in, in the world really now. So this is a guy who's incredibly physical, takes his craft very seriously. And I'm very excited to see him play at the next level. I think a lot of teams are going to be very interested in adding this guy to their defensive line. Now, this was a guy who finished with the team high on sacks this past year, 6.5 sacks on the year. Uh, the biggest thing that I wonder about is he is available towards the end of the first round. And that the, that end of the first round, those playoff teams who have pieces already in place to contend for a while, they either find a guy who's going to build for their long-term future or they usually trade out. We see it every year. Seattle is one of those teams that always does this. They always find a way to get out of the first round and add up on more picks. That's something that I've always appreciated with John Schneider and his draft prospect. But the Tennessee Titans... They now have a need at edge and defensive line with the trade of Jarrell Casey for a seventh-round pick. Does Matabike fit that Tennessee defense, especially in the same role Casey kind of did? Yeah, I really think that he does. And just quickly, I was able to confirm with, uh, with him directly that he actually got to make uh, a private top 30 visit with the Titans uh, prior to the spread of the virus getting out of hand. So that's big. I mean... You know, as we approach this draft, which is certainly going to be the most unique draft uh, in NFL draft history due to the virus and, and sort of how everything's happening virtually instead of in person, don't underestimate how big it is that some of these teams got to actually make top 30 visits with these guys um, before everything got shut down. I'm told that the Titans had about eight guys in for a top 30 visit, and that was on the higher end. Uh, of most teams around the league. Most teams in the league only had in three, four, five guys. So I think teams are really going to lean on some of those guys that they were able to bring in for visits and get to know them. And Matt Abike did have a private visit with the Titans. So A, that's the first point about that that I find very interesting. And B, I mean, just talking to him, and, and you know well, Cole, I've interviewed a lot of guys over the years. I, I've developed a pretty good radar for personality and who I think are, are good fits. I mean, I, I can't imagine two people getting along much better than Matt Abike and Mike Vrabel. I mean, I imagine when the two of them got to talk in football and, and defensive line play and getting up the quarterback as physical as Matt Abike is and some of the stuff that he told me I think that him and Vrabel would have really really kicked it off as you said they have a need there uh, trading drill Casey away a lot of people wonder why they did that it was it was really a salary cap dump uh, it was really a salary dump move than anything 
Um, you know, they got nothing in return, but Casey's, you know, a little bit on the older side, getting, a, you know, above 30, had a torn ACL in the last two years, was owed a lot of money over the last couple, uh, the next couple of seasons, that is. So it's really about the Titans, you know, kind of adopting that New England Patriots philosophy. You know, the two franchises have a lot of ties of rather move on a guy a little too early than a little too late. So I think that's what um, that's what sort of was the driving force behind that move. But when I look at replacing Casey, you know, they obviously took Jeffrey Simmons in the first round last year, who they've already confirmed is really going to play at that three-tech spot uh, that Casey played last year uh, and has played for the last several years. You know, Simmons was forced to play a little more on the inside with Casey's presence, but now that Casey's gone, uh, they'll be moving Simmons to that spot that Casey occupied. It's going to allow him, I think, to get into the backfield a little more often, uh, impact the running game behind the line of scrimmage, impact the pocket in the quarterback. But I, with that said, I wouldn't rule out them taking Manabike. As you said, you know, once you start getting to those teams near the end of the first round who have pieces in place, who are coming off successful years and are ready to continue competing, they look for a couple of things. I think they look for, you know, long-term fits and they look for guys that fit the culture. And, and, and I like the point that you made about those teams. They understand how to stock the cupboard for the future. And, and that's something that comes to mind with me. I mean, look at what the Titans did last season in drafting Jeffrey Simmons, right? They had Casey there. A lot of people said, oh, well, that's not really a need. Well, fast forward a year later, you know, Casey is gone. Simmons is stepping into his spot. Not to mention, you know, as you said, um, they can sort of think about the future. I mean, they drafted Simmons. A lot of people thought he was going to miss his entire rookie season, right, with that ACL injury that he suffered leading up to the combine. So the Titans weren't afraid to take him anyway. Yeah, he only ends up missing a couple of games, but, you know, it really worked out for him. So Matt Abike strikes me as a guy that could be a very similar pick for him. Now, will it be at 29? It may seem a little early, but truthfully, I wouldn't completely rule it out. I mean, if the visit went as well as, as I, I assume that it did, knowing both of their personalities, uh, and there is a need there on the defensive line with Casey being gone, I mean, I, I wouldn't be thoroughly shocked if the Titans pulled the trigger on someone like Matt Abike at 29. Yeah, I love how you also said how him and Vrabel's personalities just get along really well. Vrabel was willing to junk his Johnson for a title trophy. Uh, Matt Abike's willing to throw a no-pity party for himself getting drafted in whatever round in order for them to be able to find a way to win. Now, let me bring up this, this scenario for you. If you are John Robinson in this position right now, and you're sitting at 29, you can't find someone to really trade out, there's not a team, all four of the top quarterbacks are gone, you're not really going to risk probably taking Jacob Eason early with somewhere in that 29th pick, any team in my personal opinion, and you have the option to draft a guy like Matt Abike, or maybe an offensive tackle, because remember, they lost Jack Conklin, who was an all-pro and did come back and have a stellar year in a contract negotiation season and had to let him walk this past offseason. If you are John Robinson, are you going defense or are you going offense with that first pick at pick number 29? Uh, I'm going defense, you know, and, and I think they're in an interesting spot right now. Don't get, you know, mentioning the, the departure of Conklin makes a lot of sense. And there was a while there where I was leaning towards offensive tackle uh, at 29. Uh, a few reasons that I don't think they're going to go in that direction now. Again, it wouldn't shock me if they did, but why I think they won't is, you know, they re-signed Conklin's backup, Dennis Kelly, who, who kind of came in and, and played a significant role on their offense the last couple of years. You know, he's been the sixth lineman for a number of years, uh, acquired him in a trade with Philadelphia for Doriel Green-Beckham. A lot of people will remember DGB yeah, and the, and, and the, 
Yeah, and the flack that Titans actually caught for that trade at the time, funny enough, look how it's worked out for them. I mean, DGB's been out of the league for a number of years now, and Dennis Kelly's been a very quality swing tackle uh, for the Titans. You know, Kelly was a guy that came in, started the first four games last season at left tackle while Killer Lewan was suspended, and he knows the system well, and he's played a lot of right tackle for them, you know, when Conklin was uh, missed those, uh, I think it was the first six or seven games injured. Uh, he missed a, a couple of seasons ago. So this is a guy they know really well. They decided to re-sign him. He mentioned in his press conference after the signing that uh, they pretty much assured him that he'd be starting at right tackle. Um, so, but again, I still get it, right? I mean, is he the right tackle of the future? you probably lean towards no more so than yes. But I think they like him for right now. They also went out uh, this past week and signed a, a veteran tackle in uh, Ty Sombrello, who comes by way of uh, played for the Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons. Sombrello's a guy who actually makes a lot of sense as a Dennis Kelly replacement in terms of being that new sort of sixth offensive lineman, versatile guy that's played both on the left and right side. And one interesting point, uh, you know, do, do teams ever look at receiving ability when analyzing tackles? Usually not. But Dennis Kelly's a guy that came in for the Titans quite a few times this past year. I believe he caught he caught two touchdowns this past year. He's someone they like to throw the ball to in the red zone uh, on a trick play. Sombrello actually did quite a bit of that this year in Atlanta. People will remember he caught a 35-yard touchdown against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, where he was off to the races. So I think they're pretty comfortable with what they have at tackle right now. Um, and I do expect them to address offensive tackle at some point in the draft, but I don't think it'll be at 29. Uh, as of now, they were, and this is one thing, another positive outlook on bringing Tannehill back. The Titans had one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL down the stretch. They will return 10 of 11 starters on offense next season. That one departure being, as you said, Jack Conklin. But again, replacing him with a guy who's been around for a long time for them and has played lots of meaningful snaps. So I think they're pretty locked and ready to go on offense, uh, which is a good thing when you had an offense when you have an offense as good as they did last season. When I'm looking on the defensive side of the ball, they've lost you know they've lost a couple of pieces. As you said, you know they got rid of Jarrell Casey. Yeah, uh, they got rid of Cameron Wake. They cut him, of course. Uh, they lost some depth at corner. You know, guys like LaShawn Sims. Uh, and they've brought who have they brought in? I mean, they brought in Vic Beasley out of Atlanta, who you assume is going to replace Cameron Wake on the edge roll. But I still think they either need more at edge, um, they need more on the defensive line to replace Casey, or they need a cornerback. You know, Logan Ryan is still a free agent. I think ideally they would like to either bring Logan Ryan back or sign Jadavian Clowney. They've actually been linked to Clowney quite a bit, and in a very atypical move of John Robinson. And, and Mike Rabel as well. They actually spoke about Clowney in length the other day at a press conference. Now, again, someone who's around the team, uh, I've never, ever seen John Robinson or Mike Rabel ever willing to comment on a player that's not on the team. So I found it very interesting that they spoke in great length about Clowney. So right now, I'm leaning defensive line or edge uh, with a possibility of cornerback, but it really depends what happens with, let's say, a Jadavian Clowney or a Logan Ryan. Yeah, makes sense. Dennis Kelly, let's just get this out of the way. He's a swing tackle. He also swing for the fences, and he has some swing in his body when he scores a touchdown for those touchdown dances. You got to love Dennis Kelly. So it does look like they will be in the running for a guy like Justin Matabike. When we come back in just a couple seconds, we are going to be talking a little bit about the wide receivers. Tennessee has a need at wide receiver potentially for death, but also do Courtney Davis or Kendrick Rogers fit the mold? Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back in just a quick moment. Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media at Locked On Aggies and at Mr. Cole Thompson. 
We love public criticism. We love hearing feedback. We love hearing that we suck because we want to always get better and provide the best AM content for you. And that's why today we have a very special guest on. You can follow him at Justin M underscore NFL. A main man, Justin Mello, writes for USA Today's Draft Wire, writes for SB Nation's uh, Music City Miracles. You're definitely going to want to check out his work. He does a lot of great draft profiles. So we have him on right now. Justin, let's just focus in on these AM wide receivers real fast. They're two very different style of players. Both, I think, are either Courtney Davis, I think, is at least a consideration for a late day two, early day three. And Kendrick Rogers is kind of in the same situation as a late day three, undrafted free agent kind of player. Just what have you seen from both their games that make them very talented weapons for whatever offense wants to use them? Yeah, I really like Courtney Davis. I think he makes a lot of sense for a team in maybe the fourth round range. I think he's a very good advanced route runner, and that sort of separates him from a lot of this receiver class, or, or in general, a lot of receivers that come out of college. You know, this is a deep class, but you always see receivers sort of struggle to acclimate to the NFL game when they're asked to do a lot more than they were asked to do in college. Uh, I think Davis, again, is a very, very good route runner. You don't, you know, you really don't see any missteps in his game. You know, he's able to cover a lot of ground, and he gets the top speed. You know, good, good player who I think makes a lot of sense, uh, as you said, on late day two, early day three. That that definitely, I think, makes a ton of sense for him. Uh, now, let me ask you, between the two, Tennessee, they didn't get the production. I think a lot of people thought they were going to out of Adam Humphreys next year. He could be a salary cap cut following the 2020 season. Does Davis or Rodgers fit the mold for what Tennessee would be looking for as a component to add with A.J. Brown as the future receiving core up in the Music City? Yeah, I think Davis makes more sense, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I think he's a better version of uh, the Titans' fourth wide receiver, Tajay Sharp, who just left in free agency to the Minnesota Vikings. So, you know, Sharp was a guy that was a day three pick for the, an early day three pick for the Titans four years ago, came in as a very productive player, very similar size uh, to Davis, and again, was a very good route runner. And they got great production out of Sharp for where they drafted him. Now that he's gone and off to Minnesota, I actually think someone like Davis makes a lot of sense as a guy who can come in as maybe a fourth round pick, you know, similar to where Sharp was drafted, and can sort of fill that role for Tennessee. He's not going to take any snaps away from, let's say, a Corey Davis or an A.J. Brown, or even an Adam Humphreys. But again, I think Davis makes a lot of sense as a guy that can come in and sort of back up A.J. Brown, play on the outside, quickly learn and understand the playbook, and run good routes. I definitely agree with all that. Now, what, we have a couple more questions real fast for you. Pro days were all canceled due to the NCAA's uh, ruling because of COVID-19, the coronavirus still going on. I mean, we're living in a world where the NFL draft this year is going to pretty much be like the XFL draft virtually online. We're going to have to bank on hopefully somehow media markets are able still to market this draft. And it could be the highest rated draft in ratings because it's the only sports going on. But for guys like... Kendrick Rogers or Debbie Renfro, a cornerback for Texas A&M who was going to have to move to safety at the next level. They don't have that one final shot. And I've reached out to a couple of buddies of mine in the scouting world, and they've said there's about 30 players who earn a higher draft grade or even a draft grade every year just by how they perform at their pro day. So what does it mean to not have a pro day for some of these guys? Yeah, I think, you know, at least in Rogers' case, he had the combine. So at least he had a chance to get out in front of teams and get in front of the scouts and get some interviews in. But the lack of pro days for a guy like Renfro and everyone else, it really hurts them, to be honest with you. You know, a lot of those guys, they rely on the pro day in order to get drafted. Especially at least a guy, you know, at least with Texas A&M, scouts will know them quite well. 
Um, I think more of the small school guys who really rely on the pro day to make an impression and meet teams and perform. Uh, unfortunately, for, uh, but a guy like Renfro, you know, who I believe was not at the Combine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. No, he wasn't. Um, he wasn't, yeah. So that that's going to really hurt guys like that, unfortunately. If you weren't at the Combine or you didn't go to the Senior Bowl or you didn't go to the East-West Shrine game, for example, not having your pro day, unfortunately, I, I really feel for these guys because it's really, really going to hurt those guys. You know, teams, again, in a year like this, uh, a very unique draft year, they're going to lean on guys that they got to meet and speak with and think they're going to put more stock into that this year than ever before. And that's certainly going to have a, a very, unfortunately, uh, negative impact on guys that didn't get a chance to be at those events. One thing we know for sure, no matter if you're Debbie Renfro or a kid out of Mount Duluth College, Minnesota, it doesn't matter where you're drafted. If you are good enough, you will make it down to a roster. We see a ton of undrafted guys become franchise superstars. And guess what? We have a shot of seeing the next Adam Thielen or Shaquille Barrett make their name because of missing out on their pro day. Justin, before I let you go, I have one question that honestly is something that people always, I think, are in the consideration of asking. And I have to this year because of, unfortunately, there is an A&M player who is pretty much the highest rated player, in my personal opinion, with the most upside. Do you ever draft a special teams player? Because a guy like Braden Mann doesn't come around that often. And we've seen guys like a Roberto Aguayo get taken in the second round. And my God, how Jason like has a job after that still is shocking to me. But do you draft a punter with your sixth or seventh round pick, especially someone like Braden Mann? Uh, I mean, for me personally, I rather not. I think I you can it. find, yeah, I think you can find special teams guys as priority. You know, undrafted free agents. With that said, you know those sixth and seventh round picks. A lot of NFL personnel will tell you, and I'm sure you've heard the same. A lot of them are a they're either dark throws or b uh, they're basically undrafted free agents at that point. So if a team did want to use a sixth or seventh round pick on someone like Man, who, who's a terrific punter by all accounts, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna really hold them accountable for that. But it's yeah, when you're using second, third, fourth, even fifth round picks on those guys, I, I think that's a huge no no. I prefer to find them. Uh, as as undrafted free agents, but if a team again, if you're going to use a seventh round pick on a guy that was a very very productive punter or kicker, then uh, I'm I'm not going to argue with it. All I must say, Joe Marino, he's a friend of the show. He's a friend of both Justin and I. He's the host of Locked On Bills. If your seventh round pick is available, you've done pretty well this off season. How about just draft Braden Man, finish the rest of your special teams, and become the powerhouse of the AFC East? That's all I must say. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much, Justin Mello, for joining us today. Justin, let the people know where they can find you and your work. Yeah, much appreciated, Cole. It's been my pleasure. They can find me on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Uh, you know, daily publishings right now and writings for the Draft Wire. Uh, that's part of USA Today's Sports Media Group NFL Wire Network, as well as Titans coverage, both, you know, uh, team and from a draft perspective, over at Music City Miracles, you know, on behalf of SD Nation. Yep. Uh, what now? What's the Twitter handle for uh, Music City Miracles again? Uh, it is Titans MCM. That's right. T- at Titans MCM, at DraftWire, at Justin M underscore NFL. Give all three a follow. Give this man a follow. He deserves all the praise in the world for the work he is doing with these prospects. Justin, my man, thank you so much for joining us. And that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us here on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Tomorrow, we'll be breaking down our bracketology. Our Elite Eight is still in. Dat Nguyen, Von Miller, Johnny Manziel, Mike Evans. 
which one of these guys is going to fight their way into the final four representing their respective division and make it into our championship round that's going to be the rest of the week you're not going to want to miss the show we'll see you tomorrow and remember you give me all this has been locked on aggies presented by the locked on podcast network